Hello, this is Dr. Wendy Corin. And this is Dr. Dave Lundquist. And welcome to the Equiline Podcast. And today we are very excited to have someone that I consider a friend and one of my favorite riders to watch. This is Sarah Wader, who is the head trainer at um, Hunter Farms in New Jersey and has quite a number of other uh, titles that we could use. But for right now, let's just say, hi, Sarah. Hi, Wendy. Hi, Dave. Hi, Sarah. So I'd like you to get to know Sarah a little bit better before we ask her some more interesting questions about the Hunter Jumper world. So, and I don't even know the answers to this, so this is really cool. So how did you start out in the horse industry? My mom was a rider and a fox hunter and a trail rider. Um, They have, my family has a small farm, 42 acres in Pennsylvania, and she insisted I learn to ride so that I could go along with her. So we could fox hunt, trail ride. I could, I think she didn't want to leave me at home. Basically, she didn't want a babysitter. <laughs> I actually forced my own children into having that experience because it's the one I wanted to grow up with. So I'm like, we have horses, you're riding with me because I don't want to leave you home alone. So yeah, I, I guess I, I... Plus it keeps the family together. Exactly. Yeah. I, we spent many, many mornings in the pickup truck with the rice trailer behind us going fox hunting in the freezing cold. My mom used to put M&Ms in our sandwich bags. <laughs> <laughs> and when we would gallop, they would shoot. It was really funny. They would shoot out the back of the sandwich case, you know, and probably hitting every person behind us. It was, it was very funny. I say, if you're going to be hit by debris, let it be M&M's. Exactly. I'm completely, completely good with that. So did you love it then? I did. I, I think you could probably say it was impossible to keep me out of the barn then. Uh, Our barn was right walking distance from our house, and it is impossible to keep me out of the barn now. So I have noticed that. (laughs) It's not much. I'm either at the gym or the barn, one or the other. Oh, or a little agility on the side, but we'll talk about that. Running. Or running down the street. Yeah, nothing um, grows under Sarah's feet, that's for sure. So, So you did actually take that love to a collegiate level, correct? Yes. I... I didn't actually become competitive until high school. I just trail rode. I enjoyed my horses. Yes, we showed, but not at a, just for fun, just for something to do with our horses. And then I got to be 15 or 16 and competing became more interesting to me. And then I, you know, became fully ensconced in the you know, horse show world. And I love it. I love it to this day. Every day I'm at the horse show, I love being there. So anyway, and then I wrote an intercollegiate in college and started as a professional directly from there. Which is unusual, yes? I guess so. I think that there's a trajectory for very experienced juniors, which I wasn't a top junior. I was just a kid that loved it and maybe worked hard. But I think there's kids that go right into the business without going to college. And I'm really glad I went to college. Um, I think I use it well but it wasn't necessary for my job in a way. And it, it, all, it all worked out. I'm really glad I have all those experiences, but yes, it's kind of an abnormal thing to go to college and then become a horse professional. 
Well, I would say um, our, our relationship, and we, we connect on so many levels and conversation, it, it, it shows when you have someone who is an equestrian, a trainer, and a human with other interests and all yes. of that. And we can speak on so many, and in complete sentences, although that wasn't one. Uh, <laughs> I think there's a lot of... Uh, and it could be me, but I sometimes feel there's a stereotype that there's a lot of horse people that have tunnel vision and only are at the horse show, go to the barn, and don't really know what's going on in the outside world. And I also think sometimes people look at you and say, well, you didn't go to college because you're a horse. So I'm glad that I have that and I have the ability to watch the news and be informed and not just live in this as much as I am obsessed with it. Yeah, have some outside. Have some mini bubbles. Correct. Mini bubbles Correct. as opposed to one <laughs> bubble. And and did you find it difficult to transition from being a collegiate rider to a professional? At first, yes. Um, I think when you ride in college, you ride a lot of school horses. You ride a lot of horses that are maybe missing something, whether it was in their training or their background or they have a soundness issue. So it did make me a little bit of a defensive rider. And when I started riding horses for customers that had bought expensive horses, well-trained horses, I tended to be a little too, you know, just too much because I was always making sure. If you don't make sure in college, you're not going to get to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> and and also the, the work. I am a hard worker, but I think in college, you know, I would go to the barn, I would ride, I'd take care of the horses. It wasn't the, the maybe the 10 to 12 hour days that I love, but that you experience when you become a full-fledged horse professional. That's, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Hey, during that uh, time you were growing, growing up, those earlier years, did you have a favorite horse? I think that I loved all my, per, I had five horses until I had to sell my junior hunter uh, when I was in college. I had two favorites, my two ponies, uh, Easter Egg, who actually passed away four years ago at the age of 40-something at my neighbor's farm. Wow. wow. And I had another wonderful pony, Angel Face, that <laughs> had, uh, her blaze went through her eye. So half of her eye was blue, and she was amazing. And then went on to actually Anna McKnight in Maryland, who fox hunted her, and then Anna's gone on and actually shares a barn with another one of my friends down here. So it's a very small world, as you guys oh, know. Yeah. Very small world. <laughs> it is, and, and it's really fascinating because I have seen you as a writer and watched you in Farouk. And, oh, you know, yeah. I can't I know. leave out Farouk well, because he's a I, horse I of a lifetime. I think as a as a professional. Farouk is a horse of a lifetime, and I'll, I hope I have another horse like him, but I don't look to, I don't expect that. But at that, I think, I think I split that in two. My, my childhood horses and yeah, my professional horses. Because I figured Farouk was up there Farouk at the top is, of the I mean, yeah. he's not even a horse. In I agreed. Right? And everyone that's encountered him would say the same thing. You know, he was definitely alter ego or, or some per, part of your persona. So yes. I, it didn't surprise me that you didn't mention him because he's of course yeah it's just it's just he's he's part of who you are part of my yeah he's part of my soul to be honest we wouldn't know you as well as we did without him so we correct absolutely (laughs) honor that 
You guys were the one of the first night class I ever jumped on him. I think you were the first person I saw when I walked up out of the ring. And I, I remember that really clearly that moment. Anyway, it was it was a really special night. And I remember talking to you first first person. Well, we uh, we enjoy the whole process and to connect and when, if, if you get to know Sarah, if you're lucky enough to get to know Sarah, you realize that as an accomplished equestrian, her ability to also manage and teach and take care of the horses is not something that is um, as common as we would hope it would be. Because if I mention a horse in the barn, she knows the horse, she knows what's going on with the horse, she knows how the person who rides it typically rides it, for good or for evil, and, and so there's a lot of communication that takes place. So in that, I'm curious as to, do you feel more of an educator, more of a writer? Where's, where's your niche or niche, depending? I think I'd say 60-40, 60% writer, 40% educator. I spend a lot of time teaching, and I've spent a lot of time teaching. I taught... In college, I taught everyone on the equestrian team my senior year and just kept doing that. Um, I enjoy teaching. It's sometimes very challenging, sometimes incredibly rewarding. But I think riding is, riding is what drives so many of us. I, I love to ride. I love to show, but I love to ride. And so teaching enables me to be able to ride. But I... Yeah, that's a hard question. Yeah, I, I, well, there, there wasn't, that's why there, there's, no, there's no sort of right or wrong. This is me having a chance to have the, a very long conversation with you and getting to, you know, delve in. And, and I think it's going to inspire people who are listening to, A, understand the equestrian world better if you're not in it, and also to, you know, take a look at yourself if you are in it and are you doing what you love. You know, right. I, I realize, you know, for us, Personally, I, in case you don't know me, I love to teach. I love to teach. I can't help myself. And it's not all. If I didn't love to ride, I wouldn't be doing what I do. Exactly. And I have zero interest in showing ever. Right. I like to ride where the horse is going. And I think that falls into my teaching. I think everyone rides, whether it's competitive, showing, even in my small business the the students i have everyone has a different motivation and goal of what they're looking for i want to keep moving up the levels i want to challenge myself but i just spoke to irene my wonderful barn manager at home we love you irene <laughs> who she has a child that just wants to come out and love her pony she wants to trot she wants to trot a rail on the ground she has no at the moment she doesn't want to jump a jump but there's a you're in a show barn, you need to jump a jump. And Irene's like, I just want her to have fun. Cause that's, so everyone has a different motivation. Maybe it's, I like to come to the horse show and show a day or two because it's social and fun for me. Everyone, you know, so knowing what that is and then being able to help them on their way is a big part of it. Yeah, cause if you push them, you just drive them out of the sport. Correct, correct. And everyone should love it. You know, it, it shouldn't be, not everyone has to be Kent Farrington level focused, not, you know, I mean, I think Kent's a real extreme. He's focused in every, absolutely in everything in he does. every way, you know, and there's the whole, the opposite end of you guys loving your Morgan horses and going for trail rides and enjoying every minute of it. 
Right. And if you say, do you want to jump meter, meter 20, 30, 60? No, thank you. It's really, crossrails are so awesome because I get the thrill of victory without exactly. actually feeling the agony of defeat. And um, what I love to do, though, is be able to watch a rider like you connect with their horse and learn the micro movements that are different. So since you train both the horse and the rider, do you find one more difficult than the other or easy? Oh, people are harder. Don't you guys know that? <laughs> yeah, yes. pretty much, yeah. Yeah, it was, it yeah. was. You're, you're living the same dream we are, yeah. I'd yeah. say dogs are easiest to train, horses next, then humans. I have the exact yes. same. Yeah. Our dog trainer said, I can spend 20 minutes with your dog, but I need two hours with you. Exactly, exactly. I just had a conversation with a human client yesterday and who I was recommending, and I said, so you've been injured and swollen, have you iced it? No. I said, how many times would your horse have had ice boots on with their injury? And they're like, oh, constant, round the clock. 25 minutes, every hour. And we'd be showing the difference. And I'm like, for us, the equestrian is both. And the beating my head against the wall to get humans to take themselves seriously as an athlete, which is why you're a horse of another color in that because you are also an athlete. I am a, a, an amateur of athlete. I'm not, there are some real, real endurance athletes that I think of Heather Caristo comes to mind right off the bat, um, of people that really, really are, are elite athletes on two levels. I really consider myself, my athletic endeavors with running and CrossFit, are to make me a better rider, and there's something that I enjoy that gives me a little outlet from not being around horse people 100% of the time, which I, I think is important. I, it is actually the fact that many of the horse people we know don't actually know that there are people outside right. this world, <laughs> and that someone says weekend, and they're like, I don't, I don't understand. What, what is a weekend? Monday? Monday. Is, Monday is a weekend. Monday is a weekend. Um, that being said, what do you think the importance is of the human par portion of the athlete having awareness that they have to take care of themselves? Oh, I think it's, I think it's huge, uh, huge. I don't know if I can put a percentage on it, but it's huge being aware of your body and where you're where you're feeling a little funny one way or the other can translate to your horse. How many times have you adjusted my horse and me and we have the exact same thing going on? Awesome. And, I, you know, and, and on a fitness level, I think when you look at the top riders in our sport now, as opposed to maybe 15 years ago, everyone is now that's at a high level going to a trainer, going to a gym. They have a really serious program. It's just, I think the culture has changed a little bit to understand that if you want to be competitive jumping big jumps, you have to have body awareness and control and be able to be strong enough to protect yourself if something goes wrong. Absolutely. And one of the things that from our perspective, when you condition yourself, you can breathe. Correct. Correct. And often, I'll say this, I did a workout this morning. I was on the assault bike, which is, you know, it resists as you pedal. And it's fine. I don't get very winded. Even though I'm sprinting, my heart rate doesn't get that accelerated. But when I come out of a, a Grand Prix, 
I'm out of breath and I'm a fit person. So, I mean, that's the nerves and all of everything that goes into it. But imagine if I wasn't fit. That, I think about that all the time. What, what would that feel like? And, and Matt, okay, I have two horses off in a big class. What if you had four? You well, have you know to be, of we course. Watch, yeah. we, we watch people, or Todd, or people exactly. who wear their every other horse in the Grand Prix, and they're not winded. And Correct. And they still have color in their face, and you'll see someone who is not necessarily athletic at all, although you have to be. You For have to be. any of you who do not understand, or any of the, the uh, dog people we have listening you know, and you think, oh, anyone can ride. I, we have heard this so many oh. times. And I was out in Vegas at the Nationals. I hate this Anyone could ride that horse. Yeah. Go no. ahead. Yeah. Just go ahead. Because I can ride. I've been riding all my life. I've stayed on when horses have spun and all this. I would never, ever even chance getting on these because I'm not good enough. There is no possible way because the level of not just athleticism that it takes to stay on these beasts when they're going 90 miles an hour and jumping and distance and turning is that you have to be synchronized in mind body. You have to be able to read that animal and and react. get over the next right and react. And so the athletes are able to do that and breathe. And you watch who comes out of the ring. And who do, you know like who doesn't breathe. Yeah. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, this person, had it not been 80 seconds, had it been 85, they would have passed out and Correct. fallen off the horse. Correct. Right? Yes. So how often do you have to remind people of that when you're giving them lessons? A lot. A lot. <laughs> Especially, you know, my younger students that, and you see this, you know, kind of those young preteen girls, they're trying so hard. And I have one little girl, I, she's, she's just so lovely. She tries so hard and she can't even breathe after she jumps her two foot six round. I'm like, did you breathe? I don't think so. <laughs> like, no, you didn't. No, no, think. You didn't. It's, it's, it's like, exhale, exhale. exhale right. They've got inhaled down. They do that as they go in the ring. And then it, it's exactly. fascinating. It is fascinating. It is fascinating. And it is training. It, you know? 100%. 100%. When did you start running? I ran track and cross country in high school ah. to uh, up, Why up, make it look easy? a high enough level. I, I declined running in college because I, I wanted to ride. I was tired of it. And I left it for a long time until I got back into CrossFit and then really started to enjoy it again. So now that we're talking about running, tell me something that you're passionate about that has to do with running. So I was introduced uh, two years ago to the Ragnar Relay, and it's a super fun event that involves a team, eight people. I'll, I'll keep the description short. You can make it very complicated. But it started as a race from Miami to Key West, and eight people each ran three legs. And by the time those eight people each ran five miles, they were in Key West. And the rest of them are in a van, a stinky van full of sweaty people driving down the road. So now they have events all over the country and you camp. And in 24 hours is your goal to complete all eight people to run five miles three times. Wow. And you camp in between, which is, I don't know, it's, the, it's a really fun community event. I just, the people I did it with, I, I just, it was so fun and engaging. And I have this 
dream fantasy that I'm going to get a group of show jumpers together to do this. Listen to that. We can make this dream come true. I'm certain. And what is the charitable? So I have... I have a really strong feeling about the Red Cross because I had a fire in my home right after I was first married and they literally walked into my house and gave me vouchers for a new bed, uh, new sheets, new towels, the things that we lost. And I thought that was so many charities, you don't see what they do. And then I'd love, like, I haven't focused on an exact one. I'm looking, looking, I'd love to include Danny and Ron. You know, I think if we get enough people, we could have a multifaceted idea. I love that. So we're going to ask you, we're going to ask you a number of things. We're going to ask you, if you've enjoyed listening to this, to contact me and or contact Hunter Farms in Princeton, New Jersey, with your desire to be a part of this and join in and run and support it and tell us what charities that you would be interested in supporting. We need more community. We need much more community and people doing things together for the sport. We would love to see equestrians take their own fitness levels more seriously and agility, which, by the way, Sarah also runs agility with her with her spectacular Francis, and it's so important to us in Equiline that we're part of a healing community, and so we would like to be more in community with you. We'd enjoy inviting you into Sarah's life and be more in community with all of us, attempting to make the world a slightly better place for athletes with two and four legs or has as many as you happen to have agreed and i think our community has the ability to really pull off a great effort for some for some charities i i think if we got 12 people 12 runners behind this is my goal four for an ultra team which you can contact me i can explain and eight for a normal team and really pulled together we've got a lot in this that we can give and give back. Anything else walkers can do to uh There are for sure people that walk. It just, you know, to walk five miles three times takes takes some time. But I would love to have you there as a support staff because we all get a little tired and sore during, you only have, you know, six and a half hours of recovery between your runs. And anybody that wants to come join the fun and the camp and the support, I I want us to have t-shirts. I want us to really, I just want it to be a fun thing where we're all competing against each other all the time, but but this we're going to do together. I love it. And I say that for for Equiline, we will be there to help anyone who uh, chooses to participate. You have, we'll have your back and most likely your feet. (laughs) (laughs) So Sarah, how do they contact you? Probably the best way is uh, by my email. I think text might be a bit overwhelming. Andrew does love to give my phone number out, but um, <laughs> it's S E W A Y D A at iCloud.com. And we'll put that um, with this. Uh with this podcast, you'll be able to see that in the writing underneath the podcast, under the description. description, So we'll contact us. And as always, you can contact us at equiline.com and we'll pass whatever along to Sarah if you choose to do it that way. 
So once again, Sarah Wayda, this has been so much fun. Thank you, Wendy and Dave. Thank you for having me. And this has been an Equiline podcast.